All I got to do now is uh, preach a sermon that keeps your attention. <laughs> um, yes, it is. Uh, if you didn't hear, there's a false alarm. We're getting that system worked out, and uh, we may have a few other interruptions. That's okay. We're going to keep on rolling. We are professionals. This is the big league. We can handle it. Um, and uh, if something needs to be done, we'll, uh, they'll instruct me, and I'll instruct you, okay? I uh, hope that you will open your Bibles up to Luke chapter 12. The irony about how much I talked about fire this morning. <laughs> and here we are. All right. Um, I want for you for just a second, I realize this is uh, a little bit challenging in the current environment. But what I want you to do is close your eyes. If you can just do that, close your eyes, and uh, you'll have time to to turn to Luke here in just a minute, but I want you to close your eyes and picture Jesus, if you can, and try to picture him. uh, How do you see him? What do you see? What do you see him doing? What is it that he's doing? Uh, what's his mannerisms like? What's his personality? Is he smiling? Is he laughing? Uh, is he angry? Is he frustrated? Is he teaching? Uh, as you picture this picture of Jesus, um, I wonder, and you can open your eyes now, if you have something along the lines of this picture in mind. Gentle, meek, mild Jesus. Um, Good with people, holding lambs, holding children. Uh, but, and, and there were times when Jesus was like that. He, he said, I, I am gentle and humble in heart. So there were no doubt that Jesus had a good manner with people. But there were times, there were times when Jesus got angry. There were times when he got angry, righteously angry. He got angry over the right reasons And that's what we're going to talk about. Tonight and for the next week, uh, we're going to talk about a time when Jesus got angry, when he sort of laid into his audience. And there was a reason for that. Not because he was angry at them, but because he was frustrated with them. Um, In particular, a group called the Pharisees. These were the religious leaders of the day. And um, as he spoke to them, uh, may he warn us as we think about our walk with the Lord. Okay, now you can be at Luke chapter 11. This is where our text will be for the next two weeks. And uh, we are a part at a part of uh, this teaching where Jesus kind of gets down. I mean, he, he gets pretty direct, pretty negative. Um, but there's a reason that he did that. Now, Let's, let's give you some context here. The context is that he was making his way toward Jerusalem. He was making his way toward that city where he knew he was destined to die. That wasn't a surprise to Jesus. The cross wasn't uh, something unexpected. He knew that in that city which had killed the prophets uh, would now kill the son. He knew what was what lay ahead for him as he headed toward Jerusalem. He's just left Samaria. He has sent out these 72 disciples. 
And now he's, he's growing in popularity. He's at Bethany, and he begins doing a lot of teaching. And on one occasion, uh, he finds himself as the dinner guest of some Pharisees. And this has happened before. If you recall Luke chapter 7, Jesus was also a dinner guest at that time. And he was doing uh, very similarly. He was kind of calling them out. But here he gets very specific. The gloves come off, you might say, as Jesus deals directly with some things that he sees in the religious leaders of the day. And um, I think the lessons for them, well, they may not always in every case apply to us. We have to be very careful. Jesus here was speaking to, um, well, they didn't have a, a Sunday night you know, worship, obviously, as Jewish people. But, but they, he was talking to a Sunday night crowd. Okay, He was speaking to a group that knew the word, that had heard the word, that taught the word, that debated the word, that wore the word. They, they had a whole custom and a way about them. And Jesus is not chastising their dis- devotion to the word. He's, he's chastising their devotion to a way, to a system that God never had in mind. Six practices that we would do well to avoid. Luke 11, chapter uh, Luke 11, verse 37, and um, uh, we'll begin that way. The first big thing that bothered Jesus is majoring in minors. And we'll read verse 37 through 42. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, and so he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he, that being Jesus, did not First wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give, us, but give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees! For you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Now, a couple of things that Jesus does is kind of interesting to me. First, obviously, he skips right past the hand washing, which was a, a large, uh, standard, long-established custom that they observed. It was very precise. It was very orderly. In fact, this custom is still practiced today. Um, and, it, and it came, it was rooted from something in Scripture, but, but in and of itself, what they did was not required by God. It was an, a very precise, very orderly show of an outward righteousness. Okay? It, it, it was of a display that was designed to show everyone else how righteous they were. And so they had this whole pattern, this whole routine, this, this whole thing that was set out. And, and that part was not ever found in Scripture, but they were, they were binding it as though it was. Jesus used this moment to teach the teachers. I love, I love people who teach teachers, who inspire and who direct and challenge uh, people who make an impact. That's what Jesus did. He not only was a teacher, he was a teacher of teachers. And, and he, he kind of points to this custom, 
which I'm going to talk about in more detail in here in a minute. But he says, first of all, there's a couple things. Outer cleanliness is much, much easier to deal with. Okay, now obviously this is a time when they didn't have uh, bottles of Purex, you know, uh, uh, along the wall. And, you know, we, we live in a time where everything's purified and sanitized and pasteurized. And it's just all, it's so clean compared to that world of then. And so washing your hands was an important thing to do. We don't make, make light of that. But this was way more than just washing hands. It had become a ceremonially uh, ascribed thing to those who were considered to be righteous. For Jesus to skip right past it was him, say, was him really saying, this thing doesn't matter. Inner cleanliness. That's what Jesus was very concerned with. And inner cleanliness, oh, that's, that's much harder. Because I can, I can control my behaviors. Right? I can control my outward actions in a way that I think I'm doing what's right. But, but Jesus always went straight for the heart and the head. He was addressing the motivations behind our actions. The root of the reason we do the things that we do. That inner cleanliness. Paul would later speak of taking every thought and making it captive to Christ. That's, that's much harder to do. right? Because, because no one really understands how serious you are about that except you and God. I mean, if we're quite honest, you, it, you know, in our world today, you can come and sit and, and go through the actions of righteousness. You can do everything decently and in order, and your thought life can just be an absolute mess. Your heart can be a wreck. And Jesus says, I, I'm not as concerned with the outside as I am the inside. So work, work on the inside. Give that as much diligence as you give the outside, and you'll be okay. Tend to the inside as devotedly as they were to the outside. Now, let's talk about this hand-washing tradition, because it's kind of interesting. Uh, it was very precise. It was very orderly. It was very thought out. In fact, I was able to find uh, on YouTube a, a modern-day Jew going through, uh, a rabbi going through uh, this tradition, and I, I'll probably mess up the pronunciation. My Hebrew is not my native dialect, but Neteliyat Yadim. Neteliyat Yadim was this, the name for this tradition. And it began within the law found in Exodus 30. Now, if you're, if you're ob- ob- observing the video, that's fine. If you want to turn in scriptures, that would be even better. Uh, Exodus chapter 30 is uh, under the law. And Jesus, or I'm sorry, the, the Lord says to Moses, verse 17, you shall also make a basin of bronze, and with it stand a bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, with which Aaron and his sons, performing their priestly function there at the, at the temple, at the tabernacle, shall wash their hands and their feet. Okay? So this was something that God said, I want you to do, but, but somewhere along the lines, the rabbis begin to extend and require this practice, not just of the priests, but of all Jewish people before eating the meals. And it was required that they wash their hands and say a blessing before any meal with bread. Okay? And I think you can see here, it's, a, it's very precise. They got a two-handled cup, you hold it in a certain way, you pour it this way over this hand so many times, and this hand so many times, it's very orderly, even today. This was a 
a ritual that was a big deal to them. Now, we, we can make light of this, of, this, of this particular thing because we don't practice it, okay? But to them, I was reading one commentator who said, uh, this was, uh, the Talmud says that to not wash your hands was a significant transgression of the law. To not wash your hands when there was a meal involving bread was equivalent to sex with a prostitute. They put these two sins on that level. Okay? They, this is what Jesus would call the yoke. They put this heavy yoke on people. And, and they, that was just unbelievable. And it wasn't scriptural. <laughs> it was just something that they had taken from Exodus chapter 30 and then began to establish this huge ritual, which God never said you had to do it this way. And now they had this whole system and Jesus, Jesus just walks right by their whole system and says, no, I don't, that's, that's, not, that's not important to God. Washing hands, the priests, as they did their, their uh, duties and, and their responsibilities there at the temple, they needed to do that there at the basin. But not everyone was a priest. They, they were adding to the laws with their tradition. Matthew chapter 15 Verse 2, um, this was something that came up apparently quite a bit. Matthew 15, verse 2, not only Jesus, but his disciples were chastised when they, they were said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, that wasn't, that wasn't you know, just like you and I think of going wash your hands. That was this whole thing that... That, that, that has been demonstrated before you. There was, a, there was a tradition to it. And Jesus not only didn't do it, but he, he told his disciples that didn't matter either. Would decorum say that it would maybe be wise for them to go ahead and do that because, you know, then you're not offending people? I mean, one of the worst things you can do when you're presenting or teaching anyone is to do something that's so offensive at the outset that they can't get over the rest of your... They, they don't hear the rest of your message. You put up a block. Well, I don't know if we want to reason with Jesus, but Jesus is apparently wiser than us and, and understand, understands the ways of God. He was there when the ways of God were written and given to the Israelites. And he says, this, isn't not, this is not important. Maybe it had to do with the fact that the reason that they were doing it had nothing to do with cleanliness and hygiene. It had everything to do with how much they wanted to show off their righteousness. Okay, so this is the danger, and we have to think about this. Danger number one. Some things do not matter. Some things do not matter. They matter to us, they're a big deal to us, but they do not matter to God. That's danger number one. Is that you become consumed with things that do not matter. Now, it's easy for us to pick on this, again, because this is a, not something in our world. We go, oh, yeah, those Pharisees. But, but, but things don't matter until I start picking on things that matter to you. And then it starts to matter. Then, it, we're, okay, there's a little false teaching going on there. There's a little heresy going on there. That's how they viewed Jesus. Because he was picking on the things that didn't matter to God. It wasn't that it didn't matter to them. That's why they had this whole system. But Jesus was tearing down the things that didn't matter to God. Jesus was trying to simplify their relationship with the Lord, not complicate it. And human beings have a great way of 
complicating that which God intended to be simple. A, a good example of this, if you're following along, and I hope that you are, Titus chapter 3, verse 9, the Apostle Paul said, uh, gave this warning. He said, avoid foolish comfort, controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Part of growing wiser as a Christian is learning to discern the things, the difference between the majors and the minors. The minors are the things that matter to you. The majors are the things that matter to God. We have to have discernment in that practice. We can pick on, you know, washing your hands all day long, and I'm not going to get too much of a rise out of you, but I could, I could list a few things that even just mentioning them, and you go, whoa, what, what, what are you talking about? That's, a ma- that's, that's surely a major thing. That's right there in the scriptures. I know that's there in the book of Second Opinions somewhere. Avoid the minors, and certainly do not major in them. Now, danger number two is that there are some things that do matter. These are the majors. They are very important. And the danger here is that we become unconcerned with the things that do matter to God. We become careless and frivolous with those things which are very important to God. Look, look at what he says. We're, we're back in Luke now. As he's admonishing them, he says this. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb. Now, listen, that's pretty righteous there, okay? Uh, I've pre- preached a few sermons on giving, and people always want to know what percentage, and, 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 you know, is it required to do a tithe and all of that. But, you know, I've never had someone come up to me, you know, and, and, and just say, you know, I'd, I'd really like to know. Like, I got some extra herbs in my pantry. I'd really, really like to know how much of that to give to the church. I've never had that question. Maybe Steve got it over his years. I don't know. But that's how, that's how consumed they were with trying to do what was right. So, so these guys don't come at it from the wrong way. They just had the, the wrong priorities of things. Look what Jesus says. <laughs> you tithe mint and rue and every herb. And neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. See what he says there? He just got them in the wrong order. Yeah, fine. You want to tithe on your spices? That's fine. But, but, but let's make sure you, you do what's right. That's justice. And, and you love God. That, that, those are bigger things than tithing on your, your spice rack, Okay. That's more important to God. So get the, get the big things in first. Any uh, time management people, or if you're looking to be more efficient, they always say, do the first things first. Keep the main thing, the main thing. That's the main thing. Uh, put the big rocks in the jar first, then, then all the little things. That's all, all Jesus is saying here. Is the Pharisees weren't bad people, but they were, they were, putting all the, they were filling the jar with sand before they put in the big rocks. They, they, they were keeping the little things the main thing instead of keeping the main things the main things. And you just said you've got to be careful with majoring in minors. So do not major in minor things while minoring in major things. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Now, 
Think for a second, just uh, on a simple example for you, okay? If you are doing your monthly budget, right? And in that budget, you have priorities, okay? And our particular, in our budget, we do our budget by priorities. So the big items are on top. The big things that we want to get done, those are the top line things. These are the things that get done. And way at the bottom are the little things. So where people go astray financially is when they start doing, focusing on all the little things. You know, I, I really would like to eat out, and I, I, I'd sure need that unlimited data plan, and I really need to have all of this. And then they, they sort of let their mortgage payment slip. No, that's unwise because they're letting minor things, things that sort of at the bottom of the priorities, become major things. And we see the example in that, or the, the, the danger in that, and certainly it's true with us spiritually. If we've got a, a, a line item of big things and little things, we have to keep the big things the big things. The little things, well, those will take care of themselves. The second thing that makes Jesus angry is pursuing the praise of people. This is just one verse. He says, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces. This was, again, a very big part of their tradition. They had a whole order to it. There was, there was a, a certain, uh, shall we say, an air about them. There was a certain expectation of, of who they were in the community. And, and when they were invited somewhere or where they, where they, they wanted to be greeted in, properly in the marketplace, we don't have quite that level to it, but there, there, is, there is some place where people want honor where honor is due, and it's due to them, Okay. They, they want the, the best parking spot. They want the corner office. They will be called doctor. Uh, that, 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 that those are things that they want for themselves. They, they desire. Now, the religious leaders of the day, they wanted those things for themselves. My question for you is, which seat matters to you? Which seat is most important in the, the, the marketplace, the, the, the banquet of your life? You want the padded chair? You want the seat of comfort and ease? Do you want to be able to love those, only those who love me? That's the padded seat. Maybe you want the prestigious chair. It's, it's got a little gold and, and some, some, uh, some sparkles on it. it. It's clearly more important than the other chairs. It is a place of honor and... Maybe, maybe if you're not in that chair, you aspire to that chair. You love those who are above me. Instead of loving those who love me, I love those who are above me, and I aspire to be above other people. That's the prestigious chair. There's the popular chair. It's loving to be loved. It's having as many friends as possible. It's, it's seeking the approval of people over the approval of God. Then there's the power chair, the seat of privilege, the seat of ability to make decisions that affect other people, to be be highest on the org chart, so to speak. Um, The ability, the love of being above other people. That creeps into the religious world. I mean, I've gone to churches where, you know, the senior pastor, you know, he's got the good parking spot. That's right there for him. He's got the the prestigious spot. All people should do do well to avoid any of these types of seats at the banquet. Um, 
Matthew chapter 23 is not clearly in Luke, but it does give us some insight into Jesus' criticism of the religious leaders of the day. If you want to turn Matthew chapter 23, verses 5 and following, this is Matthew's account of it. They, this being now the Pharisees, the scribes, they do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes narrow, uh, their fringes long. They love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi. For you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And, and call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Now, just jump out of this for just a second. He's not saying don't call your, your biological dad your father. He's talking about a religious title. Okay? Don't call someone in a religious sense your father. No, that's not how it works. You have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors or teachers, for you have one instructor or teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus would say in another place, when you go to a, a place of, of a festivity, an honor, a marketplace, a banquet hall, seek the, the lowest seat. Seat the kid's table, if you will. And just start there. And perhaps the master of the bank will say, hey, what are you doing at the kids' table? You don't belong to the kids' table. Come over here and sit at the good table. Come sit right here by me. I'll give you this chair. Let's give him a double portion. That's a much better place to be than to be presumptuous enough to take the seat right next to the master of the banquet and for him to look at you and to say, I'm sorry, that seat is reserved from someone else. You need to go down there to the kids' table. See, see Jesus says, start with humility and it's not just humility toward people, it's humility toward God. Humble yourself, Peter says, under the mighty hand of God, that he may lift you up in due time. Living for the praise of others is extremely problematic. Living for the praise of others is extremely problematic, and it will undo you spiritually. Um, just let me speak to our large youth group, and I know... I know you've got a thing tonight, so I, this is a danger that, that your generation has faced earlier than any other generation prior. In everything from Facebook, I know you're not there very much for mom and dad and grandma and grandpa, but uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Snapchat, what, what have you, there, there is a continual focus on you in a tan tangible, measurable way in terms of how many followers you have, in terms of how many likes you have, in, term in terms of how many likes you receive, uh, all of that. There's no other generation up to this point that's had to deal with that. That's great pressure. And what it creates is severe anxiety. Because, you know, teenagers tend to, see, tend to have a, a lot of stuff in their head anyway, and now you've got this, this metric out there that not only you can see, but everybody can see. Oh, how many followers do they have? Oh, who's likes, who likes their stuff? Oh, my goodness, I, how many likes did that get? I mean, all, all of those things no other generation has had to face, and it, it, 
if you're successful at it, it can fill you with pride. And thinking that you're somebody when really you're just an image on a screen and, and it's, it's, a, it's a house of cards, okay? So be very careful with it. I'm not saying avoid social media entirely. I'm just saying don't put your faith and your trust there, okay? The scripture says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up in due time. The very best thing you can do is remain humble. If you're on social media, and that's fine, but don't put your trust in that. Don't put your focus on that. And if I could just say quite honestly, if you can as far away from, from it as possible as you can stay, I think you'll be better off. You're not going to listen to the old preacher on that one, I know. But um, we got to be careful about put, putting too much stock into the praise of people. Instead, what we really want to do is seek praise from God. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. You you may receive the praise of men. Jesus did. Jesus was praised. At this point in his ministry, he's quite popular. People love hearing him talk. People love hearing him teach. But Jesus, and this this is key here, Jesus did not pursue the praise of people. He received the praise of people, but he did not pursue it. Jesus, above all things, loved God and sought his praise first. Remember after he was baptized? I don't know if, if you remember the story, but, but Jesus, or the, the, the father said of the son, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well Now, that didn't stop at the waters of baptism. Jesus sought that throughout his whole life. If there was one person that he wanted the approval of, it was his Father in heaven. May we seek also the praise of God. Jesus, you probably remember, but if you don't, I'll remind you, Luke chapter 6, Jesus said this. He said, woe to you, verse 26, when people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. I've told you before, I've shared that. That's the hardest part of standing here. Um, There's two parts of it. There's praise and criticism. And the praise will just make my head bigger than it already is. I mean, you can just latch onto it like, wow, they love me. They really think I'm great. If only I could say more things, it would make more people say how great I am. That's dangerous. That's pride. Criticism is the same way. Now, I don't mean to, I'm not admonishing you. I'm just telling you, I'm being honest here about my heart. When you give me a compliment, I receive it genuinely, and I will say thank you. But I have to, with God, ask him to make sure I don't let that praise go to my head or that I ever value the praise of any of you more than the praise of my Father in heaven. And with criticism, and I know we have many good critics. Some of you, that's your spiritual gift, and I, I, God love you. Um, it's real hard to not take a criticism and carry it for like two or three weeks. 
just a weakness. It's hard not to let praise go to your head. And it's really challenging not to let criticism go to your heart. Jesus, the ultimate example, he sought the praise of God. And that's what he sought first. And, and when he was criticized, and he would be, and, and much harsher than he ha- has been here, it's going to get worse. He didn't let that deter him from his mission. So Jesus said, focus on the praise of God, not the praise of men. Our goal is to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. May we seek his praise instead of the praise of anyone else. This is a two-part lesson. It may go into a three-part lesson. I realize there's other things going on tonight. So I'm going to stop here. I want to encourage you to... To focus on those two things. Number one, major in the majors. Jesus said the two greatest commands were to love God and to love others. To love your neighbor as yourself. May we keep those things the main thing. And if you've allowed some minor things to get in the way of the major things, then maybe you need to repent. And if you need to repent privately, I would encourage you to do that If you need to repent publicly, you've let small things get in the way of big things. Maybe your relationship with God, it's been forever since you've talked to him in prayer. It's been forever since you've read his word. You're not even trying anymore, perhaps. Perhaps it's time to change and begin focusing on the main thing, keeping that the main thing. But the second is, may we not pursue the praise of people more than the praise of God. I'm not saying you won't be praised. I'm not saying you can't tell me that I did a great job on the sermon tonight. I'm saying don't pursue that above seeking the praise of God. And as we continue through this lesson, hopefully we'll learn some lessons which the Pharisees did not learn. Oh, they didn't. They heard Jesus, but I'm not sure they always heard Jesus. Tonight I ask you the question. You've heard from Jesus You've heard from his word and his teachings. My question is, have you heard him? Are you listening to him? If you need to do that, if you need to begin by following Jesus, by confessing his name and and being immersed for the forgiveness of your sins, we're happy to help you with that tonight. You can hear him and begin living your life in a way that listens to him. And if you have a public need, perhaps you need to repent of something. Perhaps you've been following Jesus and something's gotten in the way. And you need to make that public. You need to ask for our prayers, for our encouragement. We're glad to help you with that. Northside is here to help everyone at every stage of their journey. If we can help you tonight, journey on down front. We'll help you in any way that we can as together we stand and sing.